Good afternoon, listeners. You are listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180, the conversation station. This is Zach Andrew. I'm here with Steve. How are you doing, Steve? Hey, good afternoon, listeners. We are having a wonderful Wednesday, April 3rd. Steve, something significant about today's date. Do you happen to know what that is? No. It's my birthday. <laughs> is this your birthday? April 3rd is my birthday. This is horrible. Oh, that's right. April it's horrible. 3rd. How would you not know that? Well, April because 3rd we're recording birthday. this show in advance, and this is not April third. That's right. But our listeners don't know that. Well, the secret is out. Now they know it's actually March twentieth. <laughs> but it's my birthday. We're gonna celebrate. T- we're gonna celebrate it twice. Yeah, we got a great show today, by the way. Oh yeah, I'm ex- actually very excited about our show today and about our uh, interviewee. Steve, you want to tell us a little bit about him? Well, I've known uh, Jack Hollis for a while now. Uh, when I first met Jack, he was the uh, s- CEO, senior VP, actually, I think was his former title, uh, of the Scion division of Toyota, just a great automotive company, a global company that has a f- you know phenomenal reputation for producing quality products and great business practices. And um, Jack, I can say without puffing his head up, because you'll find out he's a very humble guy, uh, is one of the best leaders I've ever had the opportunity to coach and work with in our 36 years of coaching leaders toward excellent cultures. And I'm not just saying that subjectively. I mean, I've got data profiles on Jack that were completed by the people that he leads that proves it. And he's got some phenomenal insights on how to build high-performance cultures, how to build breakthrough cultures, and you know the reputation in his career at Toyota to prove it and make a difference. Absolutely. We at Biz Culture Matters, you know, listeners, are all about uh, helping the good guys win. And this is a good guy. And this is a good guy. So we want to welcome Jack Hollis to the show. Welcome, Jack. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. We're glad you're here. I'm glad to be here, but after I heard that intro, I think I need to hire you guys to come talk to my boss. <laughs> <laughs> I think sure my boss is getting the same information you're getting. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll make sure that we send him a sound link to the show so that he can listen to this because... You know, it's right on, Jack. Hey, I do. We need to throw this out too. Any baseball fans that are listening, unfortunately, it's on the other side of the country from Seattle. But uh, Jack was also a professional baseball player with the Cincinnati Reds, so we're excited about that too, Jack. That's pretty awesome. I'm a big baseball fan. I was a, uh, which is so great. I, I've used this line once or twice before, so I'll, I'll use it again. Which is, I was a professional baseball player. But it's obvious that since no one's ever heard of me, I must have not been very good. <laughs> so I needed a second job, and, now, and I'm loving this one. So, uh, but I loved it. It was, it was a great opportunity that I had to, to um, have a body that was a lot, you know, that God gave me a body that allows me to, to play a sport and do it professionally was a dream come true. Unfortunately, uh, an injury kind of shortened the career, and that's just the way sometimes it goes. But I, I enjoyed every minute of that and, and all of that brought. Did, yeah, you ever, did you ever make it to the big leagues, Jack? Big Only in spring training. I made made, made the big league camp. I was able to play with the big leaguers and, and all that, but uh, not not, officially, not an official game. I don't I don't know your age, so I'm just – did you get to meet He's Pete He's 29. Rose? He's oh, 29. Oh, Jack's 29. <laughs> <laughs> Jack's apparently 29, guys. We're going way – did you get a chance to meet Pete Rose ever? I, I did, and matter of fact, uh, that was my all-time favorite player. Yeah. And uh, like everybody, people make mistakes, and I think he's admitted to those, and Absolutely. I understand that, but as a as a player, he was actually the manager of the team right as I started. So I played um, – I, I came out of school at Stanford where we had won the national championships in 1987 and yeah. 1988 – I started my career in 1989 after graduation, and then um, uh, went going into spring training, got a chance to meet Pete. So to meet the, the person who I had kind of, you know, wanted to kind of set my game like to hustle like that, yeah. as hard as he did, I just think was is a great guy. So I got to meet him, got to see all of his um, kind of his attitude towards the game of baseball, which is just so pure. It's just yeah. amazing. Well, awesome. Pete's kind of known for being a smash mouth bulldog kind of a player and kind of perfected that style when he was playing but found out that once he got into leadership it took a little more finesse which uh he also seemed to do a great job of making that transition so jack for a guy who patterned himself after a smash mouth bulldog kind of a baseball player you've done a great job of making the transition to leadership well i appreciate that and i will say it's the attitude of giving everything you have to your teammates. Yeah, yeah, is the piece that Pete that people don't talk about as much. And so I agree. There's a lot of elements about the Smash Mouth that 
maybe wouldn't be the same applica- application to me in, in, in my personal life or my work life, but the attitude that says you will leave everything you have out there on a field for your teammates um, is truly something that I believe in, and I, and, I, and I really respect it about meeting him and understanding some of that. I still like watching the highlights. Totally. You oh, don't yeah. see people hustle like Well, anymore, you know, you know? Uh, the best hustle you've ever seen is, you know, Pete, you know, uh, stretching a, a double into a triple and going from second to third and giving it all out and yep. getting there. That's the way the game should be yeah. played. Yeah. So, uh, Jack, give us give us some background on, uh, you know, all, all people typically know about Toyota is the great things that we hear on the news and, you know, your wonderful commercials and promotions and the reputation of the company. And, you know, as a as a business, you know, a highly thought of uh, culture of high performance. Tell us a little bit about your your career at Toyota, your experience with it, a little bit about the American company that you work for and represent and lead in. Anything that you want to say that our listeners would like to hear? I mean, the more um, feedback we can hear about how the company really runs and your perspective and how you operate and how you've been able to take, you know, your attitude of leaving it all on the field to this company and do it in a way that is winning and making great things happen is, you know, what our listeners love to hear. Wow, you open up the door, and I don't think your radio show is five hours long. <laughs> we always, we always, we never have enough time, and we always want our listeners always want to hear more. So we're going to ask you back sometime. But tell us, tell us what you can about Toyota, because our listeners want to hear. Sure, I will. Well, I, I should probably start like most things from the beginning, and I will tell you, is um, I grew up in the city of Torrance. I was born in the city of Torrance, which is the national headquarters for Toyota. I grew up with Toyotas around me and people around me that were affiliated with the company. I never had an, I never had an inclination um, nor necessarily a desire to join the Toyota company. Um, but when I came back from playing baseball and I was working at that time for uh, Security Pacific Bank, I happened to meet several individuals all within a one-month period of time. And during that one-month period of time, I, every time I met somebody from Toyota – I would come home and tell my wife, and I'd say, you know what's crazy? Is every time I meet somebody, they're just kind. They're good. I like them. And th- finally one day I said to her, I said, you know, I can see myself. I would like to see myself with a company that has that same kind of association. When, when you see somebody, you say, oh, that's a good person. And my wife said, well, why don't you just look into working at Toyota? And it was great because at the time I had a really secure job at Security Pacific, but there was something pulling me, and I think it's, it's kind of a combination for me, both of a both of a kind of a divine calling. Yeah, and it was it, it, it's exactly it was a spiritual side and an intellectual side. And when I looked at both of those, I said this is right for me. So I came in, had an interview, and so when you say you know tell us about the inner workings or tell us about Toyota more, I will tell you Toyota is made up of an incredible group of people, such that it does feel very family like. And I know that sounds a little. I don't know, utopian or, or fake or something, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, it, it's true. And so for me to join this team was really an easy decision. Now, did I expect to be here now? I'm going on my 21st year. No, I did not. I, I expected to come in and work for a great company and move on to something maybe in the sports world because I always want to be in the competitive world. The more I was here, <laughs> the more I learned that this is the best comp- competitive industry in the in the country i could participate in it and if i continue to work hard i felt like i had a chance to be able to potentially lead part of this team and and fortunately both through you know some hard work but god allowing me to find some of the success we're in a position we are today to be able to affect some change and I, and I really appreciate the company for their support of um, who i am and the way i, I try to work and, and and what we're trying to um, create here in, in from a culture yeah, it's uh, amazing. I don't. I don't think we mentioned to the listeners though either that Jack's current position, <clears throat> excuse me, is vice president of Toyota Marketing. His most recent position was vice president and GM of Scion, which is uh, tell us a little bit about Scion and how uh, the changes with Toyota and and Scion came to be. Where did Scion come from, Jack? Scion really came. Oh, so Scion started um, ten years ago. Matter of fact, this summer is our ten year anniversary, and uh, really excited to say that I was. From day one, I was actually the uh, I had a unique consultant role. I was kind of the, I was the assistant to the CEO at the time that Scion launched. So I learned all about the tennis of Scion and what we wanted out of it. It came out of a project 
of both our CEO, which at the time was Mr. Yoshi Inaba, and then at that time, which was the head of the Toyota division, a gentleman by the name of Jim Lentz. Jim Lentz, hopefully for your listeners, rings a bell because last week was just announced to become, uh, or is now, the CEO of North America for Toyota and the first non-Japanese to be able to um, be a regional head. And yeah, it's and a Jim, huge and Jim, Jim's, a great, Jim's a great guy, too. We've had the opportunity at Excellent Cultures to work with you know Jim on culture projects almost since he was kind of a, a young manager just getting started as a district manager in a Toyota region. So what an accomplishment for him to be the first American you know, to ever you know, lead this global company on U.S. soil. It, it, it's a huge accomplishment, and it really talks about the confidence that our CEO in Japan, Mr. Akio Toyota, has in the regional leadership. And I think for Jim to do that, and I've worked for Jim now most of my 21 years. Uh, he was my general manager in the San Francisco region. And at that time, it was um, a chance when I worked for him to, to learn about innovation, how to innovate, how to take what is normal on a daily basis and, and, and consider what could be made new. Well, he started that with Yoshinaba on Scion. I happened to be a part of the start of it. And so Scion, well, like I said, been around for 10 years and was set out to become not so much a youth brand, which a lot of people think it was set out to be. It was, it was to become an innovation lab for Toyota so that we could try new and kind of creative, innovative things that would challenge the status quo and really um, ask, why do we do things? And But with an attention towards youth. And so uh, five years ago or so, yeah, wow. Yeah, I guess it'll be, yeah, five and a half years ago, they gave me the opportunity. Uh, the company had enough trust in me, I guess, and I, I hope I hope I did it justice, but they trusted me to, to run that division. And it was quite a blessing to be a part of an innovation lab for five and a half years where it really allowed me to challenge my own thinking, but most of all, to build a team exactly the way I wanted to within a large culture. You know, Toyota's a big company. It's a big global company, number one in the world. But to take a small group of people and create an, almost a kind of a subculture within it, it was really um, both a challenge, but one of the most fun and exciting, um, inspiring things I've, ever, I've had a chance to do. And that's what I did up until, uh, until July when they promoted me to, uh, to uh, be the chief marketing officer here for, uh, for Toyota. That's, a lot. That's awesome. We're excited about the rest of the show. We're going to go to a commercial break. Right now, you're listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM. We'll be right back. Remember Ross Perot, the Texas millionaire who ran for president in the early 90s? Did you realize that he's built multiple companies that sold for billions? Each of his companies held a strong values-based culture. We interviewed his CFO and COO. His insightful comments on the role of culture in business are posted on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Take a look. You'll gain wonderful insights to building your own excellent cultures on excellentcultures.com. You can also follow us at XLNT Cultures or Facebook slash Excellent Cultures. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. As an executive, CEO, or business owner, do you find yourself struggling with work-life balance and achieving your goals at work and home? Are you overwhelmed in your workload and feel important things aren't getting done? Our coaches specialize in helping leaders like you overcome challenges and build a plan to recenter their life, to achieve the balance and success you've always hoped for in your business and your personal life. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures about the right plan for you. Welcome back, everybody, to Biz Culture Matters on Clay, 1180 AM. We are on the phone right now with Vice President of Toyota Marketing, Mr. Jack Hollis, former Cincinnati Reds Organization center fielder. Steve, 
Let's get into the nitty-gritty now with, uh, with Jack. We now know who he is. We've heard some amazing stories, some stuff about Toyota. Let's go deeper. Well, uh, one of the things that has really impressed me about Jack as a leader, as I mentioned early in the show, is, you know, when, we're, when you've been in the business of helping businesses build high-performance cultures for 36 years, typically you think that business leaders call a professional services organization when they have a culture problem. And the fact is, it's just the opposite. I mean, most of our clients are people like Jack who have a high-performance culture already, and they're looking for the cutting edge of how to take it you know, to the next level. And those are guys that care about culture, realize the value of it. And what I thought was important for Jack to share with our listeners is kind of his vision for a culture of ethics, values, and employee engagement and how he was able to establish it at Scion and, you know, build the kind of a culture that he did at Scion that I think, as I remember, Jack, and correct me if I'm wrong, kind of right in the middle of our take the Scion culture project to the next level, uh, Scion was selected based upon the uh, Toyota all-employee survey as one of the best, if the, not the best, uh, employee satisfaction culture in the company. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I, we have our own internal associate opinion survey, and um, I was very, very proud, very um, glad to say that our team over the four years before we met up with Excellent Cultures, we were we had been progressing each and every year to the point where by the time we started with Excellent Cultures, we were I don't know if we were actually number one or if we were tied for number one, but we were at the top of the of the food chain at Toyota. But that to me wasn't the point. The point was not being number one on our own team which was, do we really have a culture, do we really have a feeling, an emotional connection to working with one another in a true team atmosphere? And my decision was at that moment, no. While we were doing fine in comparison to others, it didn't feel like we were doing as good as we should be, where the engagement and people just get excited to run to work and do their best and then run home to be the best they could for their families as well. I I just see, I felt like we needed more growth, and that was why we... Uh, reviewed many companies, and we went with excellent cultures that we thought was the exact right choice, and to this day, I still agree is the right choice. Yeah, well, so t- tell us, thank you for the compliment, but t- uh, tell us a bit about, I mean, what's your vision for a culture of ethics, values, and employee engagement that leaders who who aspire to have the best in the world, like you have proven that you were, you know, you and your team were able to do when you were leading Cyan, you know, what what should they think about? What should they look for? What should their vision be? You know, I, I, I'm going to have to step back a half a second and just make sure the audience kind of knows one thing about me, and that is that I, I come from a, a belief system that, that really, you know, I can only control so many things that I, that, that, that I can work my – I'm in charge of my attitude and my effort, okay? And I really feel strongly that that's all that I can control is my attitude and my effort. The rest of it, and that come from a, from a background of really belief in – in God and in Jesus Christ, that I need to just make sure it's understood is that I really believe that the outcomes, I can only control so much, uh, you know, those two elements. The rest is really in God's hands. And the reason I share that, and it's important for the audience to understand that my background is in that, is because not, no one person can make the end-all happen. And I, I think it's important that because that's the structure behind my ideal culture is the ideal culture is that you can control what you can control, which is your attitude and your effort. Yeah. The rest of it is not in your control. And I wanted a team that understood that what all I was asking for was for them to come to give the organization and each other, the person, I always talk about the person on your right and on your left. And as your person on your right or left, are they getting the best from you? And we can go to biblical statements about loving your neighbors as yourself. or But ultimately it comes down to relationships. And I believe the culture is if you can develop a team that believes that their work is to encourage every person around them, that the performance will take care of itself. Because when you are focused on doing the best you can to help your teammates, and the net result is increased performance. You don't pursue increased performance. You pursue the attitude and effort about helping one another. And that's truly what my ideal vision of of ethics values, because it becomes the natural. It becomes a... It's easy. Kind of an outgrowth of who you already are. It's who you are. And yeah. I think the engagement comes from that when you really are focused more on the other people on your team and helping them accomplish goals 
than to be focused on your on yourself and your own personal goal. Well, uh, Jack, I've I've been been a fly on the wall or actually sitting in the back of the room when I've heard you speak, you know, to your teams before, and just uh, unabashedly share that your philosophy in life is that you love God, you love people, and you love to compete. And yeah. and it's not, you know, and it wasn't a uh, a religious speech. It was about performance and teamwork and what you just said. I mean, your philosophy about how can we work together to help each other be the best that we can be and focus our energies on, you know, serving each other, which boils down to ultimately serving our customers. And, you know, you, you pull it off and you pull it off time and time and time again. And uh, I've noticed folks around you who may be of a totally different faith persuasion than you, but not a faith or no faith persuasion whatsoever, uh, that r really enjoy the culture and the philosophy that you create because it's all about the people and all about winning and winning together and not at the expense of each other. What a way to go. You know, I, wow, man, you, you took some... You took some notes. I, that love God, love people. That's my family's motto. It's my motto in life, because I think when when you are loving people, people see that. It's not only see it. It's it is authentic. It is transparent. And when you're not authentic, and when you're not transparent, it's hard for people to trust you. And if you're not going to get trust, you don't get buy-in. If you don't get buy-in, you don't go anywhere. So I really look at it as it's never a religious speech. It's not about the religion. It's about the fact that that's who the core of how I'm built. But I want to share it in such a way that we as a team understand that we have not, only, not only have each other's backs, but we have the belief that we want to see the other people succeed. And by doing so, when everyone's doing that, everyone succeeds beyond, you know, beyond one plus one equals two. Yeah. You know, Synergy and, and takes over. I really get excited about the opportunity to build teams. It's probably the thing I'm most passionate about is how we do that so that things like ethics and values or morals or beliefs they don't become necessarily discussed because it's just a natural outcome of doing the right thing. So, Jack, t tell us about wh where have you seen, you know, and you're, you, you've been around a lot of big companies, and, you know, Toyota does their business through a whole network of, of dealerships and, you know, entrepreneurial businesses, and some of them are Fortune 500 conglomerates. Uh, you've been around a lot of businesses in your career. Where have you seen, uh, you know, these uh, value systems of, you know, cultures of ethics, values, and employee engagement start to deteriorate? I mean, what are some of the trouble signs that our listeners should should look for and watch out for? Unfortunately, I think trouble signs are everywhere all the time, and it's how to it's how to recognize them you know, quickly and, and and start to change them because the deterioration I think is usually starts with the attitude that either. A person like like an entitlement, where a person believes that they you know, deserve something. As soon as you start to think you deserve something, you tend to be self-focused versus team-focused. And that, to me, is always when I hear someone say something like, "Well, why didn't I get?" or "How come I didn't get?" or anything like that. That tends to be where I've seen things deteriorate because it becomes contagious. Because the first time that person starts saying about, well, what about me, and says it out loud, other people start to say, well, then what about me? And the what about me philosophy is probably the most frustrating thing where I've seen deterioration occur. And um, throughout every organization, we've had it at Toyota. One of the things I'm proud about being at Toyota is it seems like those people who go, what about me, tend to be noticed quickly and moved or, let's say, challenged in their thinking to bring them back on board. So that, that's one. One is the what about me. I think, if I had to think about it, an, another one is when we, we kind of don't know what we're focused on. Like, we don't know, like when there's not been a good explanation of where we're going from a vision or, or from a kind of a goals perspective. And I've seen it in several different times throughout um, a company um, where if the if, if really where the priorities are not defined, it's very difficult for people to stay connected or stay focused. And um, I just think, you know, I, I, I wouldn't call, call it so much goal-oriented, but is priority-focused, where you know the top, say, five. I, my number is always five, and every year I have the five priorities, and usually two or three of them stay the same, and one or two of them change. But I think, the sec that, that, you know, just to reiterate, the second thing would be is when we really just not knowing or not focused on the priorities, and that. that 
that's where deterioration comes in pretty quickly. So watch out for the what about me and the what about me attitude and the what about me mindset and uh, clear in specific, specific fuzzy priorities. Yeah, you know, let me, and even as you said them back, I, I think there is a third one. And, and that's really where people, I don't know where it starts from, but when there becomes a fear or a delay in speaking candidly about their opinion or feelings, when there is a culture or when I see the deterioration is when sometimes, whether it's a manager or, or, or whatever level it is, where their people who are working for that person can't speak candidly, that is one of the ones that can, can deteriorate a culture or an organization extremely quickly. Uh, I'm thankful that I haven't really had to deal with that um, too often, but I have seen it a couple times in my career where a manager wasn't allowing their people to really speak their mind or cutting them off because they either they felt like the manager knew more or just didn't want the opinion. And, and that shuts people down so quickly, and that's a cancer that cannot uh, be allowed to spread. Yeah, or the manager didn't know they were doing it, and they were just you know, very focused or results-oriented or too busy. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting you should say that because in our – you know, thirty-six Hold that thought, years. Steve. Yep. Or okay. the man, or the manager didn't know it was time for a commercial break. <laughs> okay, you're we're going to a commercial. We're going to a commercial. Hold that thought. Remember, because I'm going to enter right to you when we get back. If you're listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay, 11:80 a.m. We got Jack Hollis. Be right back. ExcellentCultures.com is always interviewing leaders committed to cultural leadership, excellence, and change. These leaders, like Russell Freeman, Ross Perot's COO, and Bob Hinton, CPA and Moss Adams' managing partner, have world-class ideas. As advocates for creating a strong corporate culture that builds people and serves customers with excellence, they share breakthrough business ideas. Gain insights from Russell, Bob, and others on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. Has business taken over your life? Are you living to work or working to live? Stress, broken marriages, neglected relationships, and poor health are symptoms of a life out of balance. The right coaching plan can have transformational impact on the quality of your performance at work, depth of relationships at home, and personal sense of well-being. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures how coaching can help you maximize your life and optimize your work. Stop struggling to survive. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures how coaching can help you maximize your life and optimize your work. So right before the break, we were talking, Jack was sharing with us that, you know, the three cancers of a high-performing culture in his point of view were a what-about-me mindset where people were more focused on themselves or entitlement-oriented, fuzzy, unclear priorities, and then the big one that uh, we were really about to jump into before the break was a culture where there's a, a fear or delay that takes place in people speaking candidly about their feelings or their opinions. And uh, what I was about to say is that in all our 36 years of working with high-performance organizations and helping them, you know, go from good to great or, you know, uh, medium to awesome, that's the biggie. I mean, that, that perspective where people are withholding their, their true feelings, their true opinions for whatever reason, and it could be fear, it could be politics, it could be a lot of things, but uh, man, oh man, uh, if, if, if you've got that going on in your organization, and typically the leader is the last one to know it. Uh, but if you've got that going on in your organization, uh, get after it and get after getting all the help that you need to change it quickly because it will deteriorate a high-performance team faster than anything you can imagine. Jack, t tell us um, you know, your perspective on 
you know, whenever you've seen that start to come up in any of the cultures you've been around or any of the, you know, leaders that you've coached, what advice can you give to a leader that you know, spots it and says, whoa, you know, I, I saw that happening in my organization last week. What, are they, what, what should they do? I will. I, well, boy, <laughs> you're asking one of the toughest questions, and I, I wish to tell you that, I, that um, I'm capable or equipped to be able to do that. I will tell you what I have done that has been effective for me, but I think a lot of that has to do with your own personal commitment. Is it, is it really important to you as the leader to make that change? Is it really important to you, the leader, to allow for freedom of conversation, opinion, risk-taking? Because you almost have to look in the mirror first. So my first suggestion, what I've done, is always look in my mirror. Am I causing this kind of <laughs> um, fear? Because a lot of times it does start with the leader. Even though the leader doesn't really think it and doesn't really, isn't really aware, a lot of times it's coming from the leader. And I, I have to be careful of that because I... I love people, and I get excited, and I start moving, and we start doing stuff. And then sometimes I've learned, my, and, and people have told me, hey, you know, you, you, you're kind of going down a path, and we're, you're so confident in what you want to accomplish that we're not so sure we should try to derail that by bringing up a different kind of comment. So first is kind of self-look yourself in the mirror. The second one is I truly believe, depending on the size of your organization, that you as the leader, if it's you not causing it, or whether it is or not, you need to be able to talk to your employees directly and allowing them to air that out and say, you know, and kind of help to, um, if you want to say, evaluate or investigate where that blockage is coming. Because usually the blockage is coming from only one or two individuals. It's usually not the organization. It's one or two. And if you can root that out, it's not a problem because it's not about getting upset with an employee. It's about can we talk to that employee about, hey, why are we having a difficult time, you know, allowing people to talk? But that's a very personal, right? I mean, every leader is different in how they want to talk to their team. I like the one-on-one, -on -one, have the conversation, where is this coming from, and kind of source it out myself. Um, but that takes more time. And, and if you don't have the time, um, then you're going to have to have a management team that you're willing to really push hard and make sure you're getting honest feedback from. Yeah. Them. What was the Pete Rose approach? Yeah, what was the Pete Rose Did he take a bat to those meetings? <laughs> I don't know what Pete would have done, but I'll tell you this. He wouldn't have allowed for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. There yeah, you go. Yeah, there you go. So so step one is uh, set your standard and make sure that, you know, you're not going to allow a uh, sneaky politics uh, culture that's about what about me, fuzzy priorities, or people withholding their opinions and ideas for any reason to happen. And then step two is if you notice it, uh, what I hear Jack saying is, you know, do a self-assessment first. Get all the help you need to, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, what could I be doing to either cause this or allow this, and then do whatever is necessary to change it. Is that a good way to paraphrase it, Jack? Yeah, I, I really think it is. And I would just simply say to his encourage is that as many of your listeners are probably, you know, a lot of times you have to kind of go through, you know, finding out that either you yourself have made the error or that something you've done has caused somebody else to err. And when you can admit that, hey, man, maybe I was part of the you know, causing this, even though I didn't want to, I just was. When you can kind of admit that, I think there's a freedom that says, I'm still learning, I'm still in the process of how I'm going to be a better leader. And the best leaders, I think, are the ones who can admit that, and I, just, I didn't mean to screw it up, but I sort of screwed something up, and now I want to fix it. And when you can do that self-assessment, I think you can immediately make changes. And the organization sees that as, Again, not only transparent, but like you're honestly caring about what you're going to do as the leader when you can admit, man, I'm sorry, I, didn't, I really didn't mean to cause it this way. And I, it's tough to do, but I, I think I, maybe because I've made a lot of errors, I've learned to do it more. Well, what anytime I've seen it, it's 90% of the time, it's not, it's totally unintentional. I mean, leaders don't realize that they're causing that. It just it just kind of happens, and for a lot of different reasons. Some of them from the mindset that people brought with them when they came to the game. Some of it the leader's style. Some of it experiences, history. Who knows? A zillion different reasons why is not as important as address it, recognize it, and change it. And uh, I can remember one time that uh, I was coaching a CEO of a you know a very large you know twenty thousand employee privately held firm. And his motto was, you know, robust dialogue. That's what he wanted his team to be. You know, throw it on the table, tell it like it is, deal with it. But then when we gathered the scientific data to find out what was really going on, first he looked at it and thought, well, that can't be us. But when we did confidential anonymous interviews with executive teams, 
you know, with his executive team, their their feedback was, well, what he calls robust dialogue is really robust monologue, <laughs> and, and it wasn't it wasn't anything intentional. The guy was just such a dynamic personality that, and just like you said, got going so fast and had so many creative ideas and so much wisdom. He was such a good follow me, I'll get it done kind of leader that uh, it was squashing people's opinions and they didn't want to slow him down. And I can easily see how that happens. The one thing I want to mention, you, you, you just sort of, um, you touched on it when you asked, when you said the point about asking why, and I like to ask why sometimes, but I, I would be cautious for everybody, myself included, is the idea of casting blame when something happens. Yeah. The, the blame game and finding who the source is of the problem, that's not the issue. And, 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 and pinpointing somebody to blame that that's where the problem is, that will not work. And actually, that to me then grows the fear, grows the what about me. It needs to be recognition that when there is a person there, not blaming that person, but just to go and find a way to, like you said before, encourage them, assist in making it better and, and doing well. So I just want to make sure, because asking why can be the right question at all up until you start to then use blame. Exactly. Yeah, it's actually like, it's almost more like why and then get after fixing it really quickly and, totally. and fix it in a way that empowers people rather than labels them and gives them the capacity to recognize their mistakes, change and move on is what builds a great culture compared to blame casting. I'm telling you, my, I know that a lot of people out there have different strengths. Mine is not looking back. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> is that a strength yeah, for anybody? Yeah. So I so, guess it can so be. Did, so how many times did you get tagged out trying to stretch a double uh, into a triple at third base? Yeah, I didn't learn a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was go, 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 and and I've, I've learned a little bit about it, but I still go, go, go. Uh, what, a, what a great perspective. So uh, kind of sh- transitioning a bit here, um, the re- most recent Gallup poll tells us that you know, in our North American continent, uh, 71% of our workers are effectively disengaged in their jobs. They come to work every day uh, to do whatever they're going to do, and then, you know, it's not fun. Uh, they're really looking forward to getting off and going home and doing something that really would be more exciting. Uh, Jack, what what are your thoughts on... Uh, the connection between this employee engagement challenge that we're experiencing in North America, and you know the whole culture of a of, of, of a culture of ethics, values, and employee engagement. Well, my my first comment is, isn't that sad? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is. Work by definition is not play. <laughs> I mean, work by definition isn't 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 pleasure. It's work. So we're at the workplace, but so often people put those in buckets as if they can't enjoy what they're doing every day. And so when you ask the question, you know, what, actually I didn't know that number, 71%. Yeah, 71%. That was last October. You know, it, it, it doesn't surprise me, but part of I think, I guess I'm combining a couple of the last couple of questions, I guess, but, you know, where does that effectively disengagement come from? I think so often is when people work with an expectation of what they should get for that work. Um, that it's tough. We all think of ourselves as high performers. We think of ourselves as deserving this or that. And when that happens and you don't get that expectation realized, what's your choice? You have to be disengaged. And so I, I don't know if I'm really answering your question on the fact that, that I, I feel like that that is from a culture standpoint. I don't, I'm sorry, not clear. From almost an American culture. Yeah. But we've allowed ourselves to think that we, have more value yeah. than we really do. And again, maybe it's that the belief I have that other people are more important than me. I mean, when we start thinking that we're more important, going back, back to the what about me, that sure is a tough perspective to ever get over. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know if I really answered your question. Oh, you did. No, I think that this, you did, Jack. That I, that I really believe that, uh, that we as leaders have got to be able to be focused on engaging our associates to enjoy the workplace. And the way for me to do that is to build the relationships through encouragement and fun and and whether it's competitiveness or focus on my priorities, all those elements. It is our job and it's not going to be taken lightly. We, we must create a, a culture or an attitude that says we're here for one team to the benefit of the others. That's great. We're going to head into a commercial break. 
We have one more segment with Jack Hollis. Be right back. Remember Ross Perot, the Texas millionaire who ran for president in the early 90s? Did you realize that he's built multiple companies that sold for billions? Each of his companies held a strong values-based culture. We interviewed his CFO and COO. His insightful comments on the role of culture in business are posted on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Take a look. You'll gain wonderful insights to building your own excellent cultures on excellentcultures.com. You can also follow us at XLNT Cultures or Facebook slash Excellent Cultures. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. As an executive, CEO, or business owner, do you find yourself struggling with work-life balance and achieving your goals at work and home? Are you overwhelmed in your workload and feel important things aren't getting done? Our coaches specialize in helping leaders like you overcome challenges and build a plan to recenter their life, to achieve the balance and success you've always hoped for in your business and your personal life. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures about the right plan for you. And we're back on Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM. Jack, we are in our last part of the show, the last segment. Let's make uh, at least, let's make it the Jack Hollis show. <laughs> can we can we get the Jack Hollis Jack Hollis Team Building 101 in the last segment? What would you do? What if we were in the classroom, Jack Hollis Team Building 101? What would you teach us? Well, I first I think um, you, you, again you have to decide what you're going to stand for. And don't tell your team you're going to stand for something and don't stand for it. So you better be consistent. That's, that's one. Um, I talk about loving God and loving people. Um, that's my own personal motto. Uh, I, I, the other mantra is that I have here is people over performance. You have to invest in the people if you want to create a high-performing group. So my, my lot of teaching, matter of fact, last Monday I had something we call the Hollis Huddle. It's bringing everybody into the huddle. It's 100, my, my team now is 150 people big. And I said, let's, we're going to get together in one room. And it was to just chat. You know, you know, even though a huddle, there's not a lot of chatting. Usually it's the quarterback. Well, yeah, I play the role of the quarterback. But if you're not listening to the receivers or your center on the snap count or whatever it might be, you're going to be off. Something's going to be off. You'll get a penalty for, you know, something. You have to be listening to the team. And so I think a teaching is, are you willing to listen as the quarterback Take that and then make the decision. Or are you going to come in with the play, just telling everybody what to do and making them listen, even if it's going to run into an error? And I, I think it's very difficult. I'm still learning it. I'm still trying to do the best I can. But I would say from a teaching standpoint, you have to gather the voice of your team and be willing to say their idea is very likely better than yours. Mm. And then can you incorporate it and own it so as that it becomes passionate so that the whole team moves together and runs the play successfully for the touchdown? Yeah, but if you don't come in with the attitude that their idea might be better than yours, it's probably pretty difficult to really listen and not just get off the focus of what idea you're trying to sell. Yeah. Well, that's why my goal is always to surround myself with the single best people I can because I clearly don't have all the good ideas. But when they do, you come in with, hey, let's talk about it. I think I have a deciphering you know, ear and eye to say, that's a good idea. And then I love being the visionary for the team to say, this is where we're going, and let's get on board. But it's with the input first, not with my own ideas. It has to be theirs so that we can do it as one. Yeah. So I've got a, a real-time application question for you. While I'm sitting here in the radio station listening to you and taking notes and interviewing you, I get a text from my 16-year-old daughter. Uh, this actually just happened. Yeah. And the text is, um, you know, I went to lunch with Erica, and I missed my bus. Um, 
and, you know, looking for a response for, you know, basically, what should I do? Now, the bit of information she didn't know is that her older brother told me this morning that she told him that she was going to go to lunch with Erica and miss her bus, and she was probably going to get in trouble for doing it, but uh, she was going to do it. In, she was going to do it anyway. So what I've got to do is ask myself as the leader of this family, you know, what could I be doing or what message could I possibly be sending that makes my daughter not want to come to me and say, hey, Dad, could I go to lunch with Erica after school? I'm probably going to have to take a later bus. So, Jack, fix me. Ha. Number two, love God, love people. <laughs> That's probably true. I'll tell you this. I think you must have got texts from the one uh, from two of my four kids. <laughs> Maybe the wires got crossed. Uh, I love those situations because I am still figuring out. But I will say this. That is the right, how, how I look at it. Every time something like that happens in my house, I look at it as what is it that I'm doing to not allow or not encourage the person to have a conversation with me to tell me what they're feeling. And most of the time, my kids who are, like you can tell from me, pretty verbal, we have great conversations around it. And ultimately, it's not that they did it the first time, it's that they don't do it the second time. Yeah. I'm okay with making mistakes and errors and whatever, but let's figure it out why and let's correct it together. Uh, ultimately, I think that's what it is. It, it's got to be able to say it's okay that even as the leader that, you know, maybe I made a mistake or maybe I wasn't leading the way I wanted to, as long as you realize that or as long as your team realizes that you want to do the right thing and that you want to get the input to do the right the next time and you have that conversation. It has to be willing to have that conversation. And if the conversations aren't happening, and I know you've had this happen in your career before because you, you've told me about it, especially as you made your transition uh, typically, is your best approach a one-on-one, just go have dialogue with somebody about, you know, encouraging them to share and talk? Or how do, how do you address that? How should, how should a leader address that lack of candor and lack of willingness to speak up and share opinions? I think it depends on the, the impetus of the problem. And that is, um, I've had, since I've joined the, the Toyota group here, I've been here now for eight months, Sometimes it's one-on-one. That gives you a perspective from one person. But a lot of times recently, I've been more listening to one-on a group of people. And I've been, what I mean by that is uh, inside of my, inside of my um, Toyota marketing department, we have nine different, you know, if you want to call them segments or nine different divisions within my department. And sometimes a whole division needs to be called in to have a little powwow so that other people can hear each other speak. And what we do there is we just don't use personal names. We use the outcome or the performance. We just don't talk about it being blamed. And that, to me, has been a a growth that I've been learning is sometimes it's not the one-on-one because you only get the one perspective, but it's the one-on-five or the one-on-eleven. And last week was one-on-like 33 or something where a group of 33 got together and were able to really share what kind of things were occurring. It's not always bad. It's just that there's a potential to be better. And that's the other thing is, Sometimes we look at culture as, well, if something's bad, i got to make wholesale changes. No, sometimes it's just that it needs a small tweak, a small little adjustment makes a big difference. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the, but again, those small little adjustments add up into you know, huge, big situations and scenarios and opportunities. You know, um, I, I think that that has been a good growth, and I, and I compliment the Excellent Cultures group and, and what you guys um, did when we were at Scion. But when you can look at the business, when you're already a pretty high-performing group, and be willing to say we still want to make adjustments, and when you can make one or two that get people just just a little more confident in, in, in how they're sharing or what they're sharing, it's amazing the amount of difference it can, it can mean in their engagement. And we've seen that at Scion. I appreciate Excellent Cultures and, 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 uh, and what you guys were willing to, to, to share with us and to kind of you know collaborate on. And I, I just... Again, not everything's a problem. Sometimes it's just little minor tweaks to enhance something which can go just as far. Yeah. Well, Jack, you know, guys like you are, you know, easy for us to work with because when we got there, we didn't have to convince you that you needed to look at yourself first and be willing to make changes and be transparent. You were already that way. And all we were able to do was basically bring some scientific data instruments and some really good coaches to help get the feedback that you were looking for out on the table and then facilitate a conversation and put processes in place that, you know, your folks embraced, grabbed hold of, and made some wonderful things happen with. You know, I appreciate that. And, I, you know, if you want to tie back to back into baseball, it's when you're willing to listen, you know, even if you're Pete Rose or any of the top players today, 
when they're willing to listen to a coach who sees what they're doing on a daily basis and points out, hey, I'm noticing this about your swing recently or I'm noticing this about your arm angle when you're throwing or whatever or your base running, what happens is if you, if, you, if you will trust those words, listen to them for the wisdom that's behind it, and then apply them, I'm telling you, nine out of ten times, it makes you the better player. And I think that's our job as, as leaders. We are to be the coach. It's not to wholesale changes of players all the time, which might somehow you need to trade somebody, but other times it's to make the tweak to that person's you know, bad angle to make it better. And I, I'm trying to do that, trying to do it better. I appreciate the opportunity to do that. And the fact that Toyota has, has had the respect and or um, confidence in me, I, I want to return the favor by, by performing for them. Incredible. We are out of time, guys. This show flew by. Yeah. Jack, you're you're awesome. Uh, I don't know how effective you would be as a leader, though, if your philosophy was uh, you don't like God, you hate people, <laughs> and, you know, you think competition is for sissies. <laughs> and you were consistent. <laughs> I don't know either, but I'm ready to compete right now, so whatever you need. Hey, as a, as a former baseball player myself, Get your kids involved in baseball because if you can get kids to be excited about only succeeding 30% of the time and that being good, in baseball you Life fail 70% in. of the time. You hit 300, you're failing 70% of the time. Well, at the end of the day, I'll be coaching a baseball game tonight for a group of 14-year-olds, so awesome. I'll take that wisdom and keep working on it. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. You're awesome. All right, guys. You've been listening to Biz Culture Matters. What a pleasure to have Jack Hollis, Vice President of Toyota Marketing, on the line with us today. Hey, remember, listeners, we want to chat with you. Let's have a conversation. You can catch us online at excellentcultures.com. Email us right now. Ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. We want to have that conversation with you. We'll be back next week. Next week's show, How to Change Your Culture. So we're on Clay 1180 AM. We love our station. See you guys. ExcellentCultures.com is always interviewing leaders committed to cultural leadership, excellence, and change. These leaders, like Russell Freeman, Ross Perot's COO, and Bob Hinton, CPA and Moss Adams' managing partner, have world-class ideas. As advocates for creating a strong corporate culture that builds people and serves customers with excellence, they share breakthrough business ideas. Gain insights from Russell, Bob, and others on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. Has business taken over your life? Are you living to work or working to live? Stress, broken marriages, neglected relationships, and poor health are symptoms of a life out of balance. The right coaching plan can have transformational impact on the quality of your performance at work, depth of relationships at home, and personal sense of well-being. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures how coaching can help you maximize your life and optimize your work. Stop struggling to survive. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures how coaching can help you maximize your life and optimize your work.